0: Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew to this day. Teach us through the scriptures that we too might arise to new life in you. Amen. Our passage this morning is from Luke 24, verses 44 through 53. and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with a power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: So I'm convinced that there are two types of people in the world, only two, no more, no less. There are those who absolutely love the lectionary, and then there are those who have no idea what the lectionary is, (laughs) Um, and I'm one of those weird pastors who actually falls into the second category often. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of exposure to the lectionary, and I I get it, right? The lectionary is uh, a series of readings that are divided up over three years, A, B, and C. Why'd they give them letters instead of Numbers I don't know, and then there's you know like an Old Testament reading, uh, uh, a like a, a, a reading from the Psalms, a reading from like uh, the Pauline epistles, and uh, a reading from the Gospel. And it's uh, for those of you who love the deep, rich tradition of literally um, millennia of tradition, the the lectionary is awesome. And then for uh, others of us, I'm sort of like I. I don't know what the text is for today, (laughs) and I I have have no idea what what this is all about. And if you're like me and you haven't had a whole lot of exposure to the Christian year, you might know a lot about two things in the Christian year, like Christmas and and Easter. That's the other one, Easter. That's the other thing. And then you might know of a smattering of some other Christian year stuff, like next week we're going to celebrate Pentecost, and, you know, maybe your grandma wore, like, red church with, like, the red hat and the red gloves. Maybe that thing is, like, somewhere in your memory. But maybe for others, you're like, I to... no, not for me. I don't know. The Christian year is very interesting. And so we will remember that Easter is a, a season. It's not just the day. Uh, there's 50 days uh, from Easter all the way to Pentecost. And you could get really nerdy if you wanted to, really nerdy. And you could talk about the seven days that represent Eastertide and how they're all formally kind of, uh, they're called octaves and they are related to Jewish feasts. And I see your eyes glazing over, you're with me, this is good. And how there was Easter day proper, there's like Divine Mercy Sunday, Mesericordia and Jubilant, and some ones that I can't pronounce, like Day. and I took Greek and I still don't know what it is. And, you know, these are really exciting things. And today is like the exotic from the introit, or it's also sometimes called the Sunday of the Rose. And now we are all on the same page, because none of you have any idea what I just said, or do you care? And did you know that actually this text is tied to the ascension of our Lord, which is a feast day held on Thursday? I didn't know there was a feast day on Thursday. I had this really good habit over the summer when I was grilling and drinking beer, I would say, It's a feast day. We should celebrate. And I go, Which feast day is it? I don't know. Let's ask Google. And it'd be like the saint of some French person. And I'd be like, Today's their feast day. See, Jennifer, it's a totally appropriate day to barbecue and drink beer. That's what we need to do. And I didn't know that the ascension was like this big deal because I've been in church ever since I've been a little kid. I've been in church for 35 years. And I began thinking, Have I ever heard a sermon on the ascension? No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one, I was like stretch. I was straining my mind, and like I grew up in a Presbyterian church where they would, you know, they'd robe, and they'd stole, and they they were lectionary-based, but I was like, ascension sermons, not super memorable for me. I don't know about you, but like I couldn't really recall a whole lot that I've, uh, you know, wrestled with the ascension, and then I began studying about the ascension. I began researching heavily Right, because I got to do my homework. I got to get up in front on Sunday and, and preach this stuff, so I should know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so I began researching research, and researching. Scholars agree unanimously that the ascension is weird. <laughs> it's a very strange cookie. It's very interesting. It's very weird. And I, I begin to think maybe that's why I hadn't heard a whole lot of sermons on it, <laughs> because it's sort of a strange piece. And now that we're all on the same page and we all agree that the ascension is weird we can now talk about the text. We can talk about what we heard in Luke and we can wrestle with this and uncover it and perhaps it'll speak new to us today. Perhaps it will challenge who we are and and what we do and what we believe as Christians as we look at this passage in Luke and as we uh, struggle with this text together. So interestingly enough, this is how Luke chooses to end uh, his gospel. And I began looking at other gospels because I was like, surely Jesus ascends in all the gospels. <laughs> right? he doesn't. I don't know w- why, but maybe I do. But it was kind of interesting, right? So I, I opened up John, and-, and Jesus doesn't ascend in John. I, I don't know what happens. <laughs> There's this discussion with Peter right? And Jesus restores Peter and says, like, you know, if you love me, feed my lambs, feed my, you know, are familiar with this passage. That's where John ends the gospel. In the gospel of Matthew, there's also not an ascension, which I thought was interesting. But Matthew ends, and it makes sense. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's the great commission. I get it. Go out and go do. That's how Matthew chooses to end his gospel. Mark, Thanks, Mark, for saving us. Mark also has an ascension, and it just uh, simply reads, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. Period. End of story. The end. This is an interesting dilemma that the gospel writers have, I think. Not really the discrepancy between, you know, John, Matthew, Luke. I I don't really care about the discrepancy. Um, But it's more like, how in the world do you end a good story? How do you end this story? I Even mean, you have God incarnate coming and living among you for three years, doing miracles and living among the people and teaching and traveling and working. And Jesus says a lot of things and does a lot of very important stuff. And then imagine you're the gospel writer and you're like, uh, now the end. <laughs> you know? or, or like, and then Jesus, Jesus said we should go do stuff. H- how do you end this story? And so for Luke and Mark, they talk about this ascension of of what happens. And as I think more and more about it, I think that the beginning and end really are these same different sides of the same coin. An ending is a beginning, and a beginning is really an end of something else. And so the way I think Luke ends his narrative makes sense. And when you pick it up in Acts, which is the second half of Luke, you get another telling of the ascension again, and it's the same telling. And then from there, the church begins their work. So as we sit with this uh, passage from Luke, let's take a look at a few of the details from there, because I believe Luke's telling a story that's formative for us today. The first thing that is sort of um, drawn to my attention is that Jesus is teaching his disciples still. And he says that he opened their minds to the teachings of the scriptures. And it's like this sort of veil is lifted on their understanding of God. Have you ever had this happen to you before where maybe it was a, a really good preacher? Or, you know, I don't know, you're in a really good Bible study or you're watching a podcast and you like come across a text that you've read. And then all of a sudden it's like, it clicks for you. And you're like, oh my gosh, I never saw it that way before. And then all of a sudden, it just begins to shape your understanding of that passage or it begins to shape your understanding of this attribute of God or it shapes your understanding of the gospel or the life of Jesus or, or the character of Paul or Adam or Eve or you, you name it, right? When the, when the veil is lifted, when the scriptures are taught and you begin to understand them, when it clicks, it begins to transform who you are. And this is that moment for the disciples, right? Jesus begins to teach them from the, the law of Moses and that the Son of Man will suffer and die and, and resurrect again. And they go, oh, my goodness, I get it. I, 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 I didn't like 20 minutes ago, but now I do, right? It's that moment. And Luke is telling us that's what happens here. Jesus is teaching them one final time. And he's saying, listen up, class. This is what's going to happen. Nod your head, you're following along, right? And the disciples are like, oh, wow, I had no idea. I get it, right? That veil is removed from their eyes, and they see the scriptures, and they hear the revelation of God fresh and new for them. I think the same thing happens day in and day out because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword, useful for teaching and shaping the community of God. I think that's powerful. The second thing in our passage that is, kind of strikes me as very interesting, that this whole entire thing about how repentance and forgiveness of sins happens because of Jesus, which we need to, I'm going to say some very strange words. I think as a church, we need to re-embrace that idea. We need to re-embrace repentance and forgiveness of sins. I say that kind of tentatively, because in the past, the church has really emphasized that, probably to the damage of communities and individuals, right? They've taught sin. We've heard it. You aren't good enough. Repent or you're going to burn in hell, right? We've heard it, and it's not helpful and not good. But when we reject the idea that somehow we are truly broken people, if if we reject that idea, the alternative is not good either, then we have no need for God. We really have no need for each other. We have no need for grace. We have no need for a community. We have no need for the scriptures. This is a core teaching of Christianity, is that we are fallen people, but that's not the end of the message. The good news is that Jesus came and showed us how to live a better life and set us free from the trappings of that. So my quick and dirty definition of sin, I think this is helpful, is that it's anything that separates us from one another or us from God, right? If it separates you from God, it's sin. If it separates you from your neighbor, it's sin, plain and simple. And the good news is it doesn't have to. Jesus came to show us a better way to live. You do not have to live in that. In fact, you were already set free from it, and all you have to do is receive the good news that Jesus has showed you a better way and has come and paid the price, and died for you. And that's the good news of the gospel. I think if we re-embrace that as a church, what it does is it leads us to freedom in Christ, which is something that we had a whole sermon series about a while ago. It leads us to freedom in Christ. So the third thing that I'm kind of struck by in this passage, and that Anthony talked about in the children's moment, is this whole entire concept of witness. The disciples are called to be witnesses to the things that they have seen. And we, got news for you all, we are also disciples of Jesus. We follow after our teacher. We follow after our Messiah. We want to do what Jesus does, and we are also called to be witnesses. And I think this happens a couple different ways, and I I kind of catch mention of it in the passage. The first is the disciples are called to witness the act of the ascension itself. Right? They're there when Jesus like, floats away. They're there. They bear witness to it. And then they're supposed to go out and witness to other people, which is also like testify or, or share. This is a court term you can call a witness, someone who can testify to the account of things. We are those people. We are to go and witness to others the things that we have witnessed, that we have seen God move in powerful ways, and it has changed who we are. And I'm here to say it can change you as well. It can change your family, and it can change your community. And we believe it can change this world. That's what the disciples are called to do. And that's what we are called to do as well, to proclaim that truth. But now comes the crux of the passage, and the bit that gets super weird is Jesus just floats away, Um, I don't know, can you picture that? It would be like Jesus is teaching and then all of a sudden he just starts floating up. And then like he might be still teaching. I don't know if you all have like seen an airplane really high in the sky, but it's really far away. And so you can imagine the disciples, <laughs> they're kind of all standing there and Jesus is just floating away and then they're like Is he coming back? <laughs> I can't hear you Jesus, speak up. And then, they're just, and then they're just standing there in that awkward moment, right? Other than that lull that you get in conversations every seven minutes, right? This is the disciples all standing there. They're like, and then he disappears, right? How long did it take? I don't know. I wasn't there, right? So let's say he disappears. And then what do they do? They're just standing there. And they're like, okay, Peter, what do we do now? <laughs> uh because Luke's done writing the story. So we're going to wait for the, <laughs> for the next chapter. You know, it's just this awkward, strange moment. They tried to depict it in art, and it always just comes off as like two dangling feet. It's very strange. Uh, you know, and they, it's so difficult to depict in film. It's, it's very difficult to depict in sermon form. I'm not going to try any more than what I already have. It is this strange piece of the text. But I do think there's a takeaway for us from the strangeness Of that, I think there's a lesson here, and I have really just three takeaways from studying the ascension, Uh, and I have a a bonus one. The one is I still can't spell ascension. I always end up spelling it like ascension, and I just don't know why I put an extra C in there. Uh, Maybe you can spell ascension. Good job. I can't. I still can't. Uh, That's my first kind of bonus takeaway. But I have real, like, three real takeaways from studying the ascension. Uh, The first one is that we should not dismiss those moments that cause us to say. What in the world just happened? We should never dismiss those moments that cause us to say, what? Never dismiss those moments that cause us to say, what? The second takeaway I have is that we shouldn't just stand there. We've got to do something. Don't just stand there, church. Do something. And the third takeaway I have from studying the ascension is, whose are we, really? Where do we belong in this world and in the story? You see, the first one is don't dismiss those moments that cause you to say what, because Luke records the weirdness of the story. He doesn't shy away from it. He just says, and Jesus floats away, and then (laughs) he records it, and then he's, you can picture Luke saying, like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with that. I'm not sure what to do. And we will all have these weird moments in our life where we cannot quite put the pieces together and we don't know what to do. Maybe it's a a change in direction of career or it's a change in your family dynamics or it's a change in something. And you go, that was strange. That was unexpected. I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Do not miss those moments. Those are pivotal spiritual moments where God is trying to teach you something. And for the disciples, I think God is trying to teach them, look up, don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's those moments that you have to hold on to. And sometimes they take days, months, or weeks to discern and sort of hash out and see what's next. Sometimes they take years. Quite honestly, sometimes they take the rest of our life. But hold on to those moments that cause you to say, what? What? I do not understand that. They can be kind of um, superfluous, crazy, absurd moments, and they can be deeply painful moments as well. If they are moments that cause you to go, what? I don't get it. Hold on to those moments. God is trying to teach us something in the midst of those moments. That's my first takeaway from this account of the ascension. The second one was don't just stand there, do something. And this happens in the gospels. Imagine if the story ended with Luke, right? It says Jesus floats away and they go and worship in the temple and then like it's literally like period and you turn the page and you're in the different gospel. <laughs> like imagine that was the end of the of the story. But it's not because the church is birthed out of this experience. Pentecost is the next chapter of the story, and the Spirit, which Jesus promises at the end of Luke, descends on the disciples, and they begin to minister to all the nations of the world. And the rest, as they say, is history. Without that, there would not be a church here in Lake Jackson. There would just be probably some little backwater Jewish cult in Israel. But the spirit of the living God descends and they go and they bear witness to what they saw and they spread the good news, as we are called to do as well. And that's my takeaway from the ascension is that the the disciples don't just stand there tooling their thumbs saying, what now? They go out and they do something. They engage with their community and they spread the good news. The third takeaway I had was, whose are we? And this one is a little difficult. Because you can imagine that the disciples are also grieving their loss. Not only did Jesus die, and then like he pulls a, ha-ha, not really, and he resurrects, then he leaves again. (laughs) And the disciples are probably like yo-yoing in their emotions, saying like, well, Jesus, make up your mind. Are you here or are you not? And they must be really wrestling with their identity as a person. They've dedicated three years of their life to this homeless teacher, and then he disappears again. And now they're saying, What do we do? Whose are we? What are we? Who are you? What are we supposed to do? It's, it, this is a crisis of identity, and they are grieving their loss. They're asking this question Whose are they now? And Jesus says, you're my disciples. You're my church. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am sending a helper after me. So the, the answer really to that question is, whose are you? Well, you're God's. You're God's children. You're God's community. You're, God. you're God's. Your identity is found in God. So as I wrestle with the strangeness of ascension, like how to spell it, it's a weirdness in the story. I'm reminded that we shouldn't brush the strange or the weird moments of life away in some corner and forget about them. And I'm reminded that we shouldn't just stand around waiting for Jesus, but rather we should actually do something, you know, like be the church. And I am reminded of whose we are, that we belong to God. We are the beloved community who takes action and celebrates all that life brings us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.